Hey, it's Kathy. I'm so excited because, drumroll please, doors are officially open to my program, The Abundance Method. I have been wanting to put this program out in the world for two and a half years. I've been working on it behind the scenes, and this is my signature program. This is the program that is going to teach you the method, the framework for how to become a master manifester in your life. Why is that? Because everything is vibration. We live in a world that is atomic. That means the world is made of atoms, which is energy. 99.9% of every atom is energy and less than 1% particle. So in order for us to manifest in our life, we need to become the highest vibe possible and to sustain that. This program is going to show you how to meditate and how to set your day on the right track so that you have a practice that can help you project your amazing energy into the world, which will bend the 3D, which will help you manifest in ways that you won't even believe. This is a transformative live 10-week program. It is designed to help you on this journey of spiritual awakening. It's going to give you tons of tools. I'm going to show you how to change your energy, master the manifestation once and for all, This is the first program of its kind. We're actually trademarking all of this framework because it is something that is so unique. And I think you're going to be so excited about learning it. Also, there are some bonuses right now. If you sign up, you're going to get an exclusive podcast so that you can be listening to this program. If you can't make the live Zoom calls, we can give it to you on a track so that you can be listening to it like you do a podcast. Also, you're going to get a pack of 10 meditations from me. And you're going to be getting a training that I just gave a workshop called Permission to be Rich, one of the best workshops I've ever done, which you will love. And there is a platinum level to this program. If you choose the platinum level, not only do you get extra coaching calls with me, you also get extra mentor support, but this is really cool. You also get a retreat included. My retreats are normally $3,000. You will get the retreat for free included. Plus, you will get a front row seat at that retreat because you will be on the platinum VIP track at the retreat. All of this is here for you. I'd love to see you in this program. I want to see you tapping in, turning on to that electricity within you so that you can find your way to the life that you were born to manifest for yourself. You can join us now at kathyheller.com slash join. I cannot wait. Get on in there. See what all the excitement is about. It's going to be so much fun. Treating yourself like a precious object will make you strong. And I think we have a lot of mythology that says we have to flog ourselves forward and beat ourselves up. And I think instead we need to try coaxing ourselves, coaxing ourselves forward. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome to the Kathy Heller Podcast. This show is meant to be a guide for you. I want to be that mentor who can hold your hand through this journey. I know that there are so many twists and turns in navigating not only what is happening in our mind, but also understanding strategically how we want to get from where we are to where we want to go. In the show, we're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. 
And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful? What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are? How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller podcast. I am so excited for today's show because Julia Cameron is back and she is someone who has inspired me and impacted my life in such a major way. So I'm so excited to talk to her once again. And she had so many great things to share and I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with you. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that I am hosting the next retreat And the next retreat is going to be in June, at the end of June in Florida on the ocean at a beautiful resort. And the cool thing is that the first 25 people who sign up are going to get this really beautiful swag. The other thing to know is that if you sign up by April 1st, you're going to get a virtual retreat in addition to the actual retreat, which means that we're going to be together for two hours on Zoom before the retreat so that we can do meditation and breath work and you'll get a chance to meet some of the people who will be at the retreat and we'll get a chance to set an intention uh, for what we want to create at the actual retreat. So if you sign up by April 1st, you will get that experience. And if you're one of the first 25 people that signs up, you'll get this beautiful swag. I think there's already 11 people signed up so far. So there's definitely room for more of you to get that swag bag. Also, in case you haven't heard, I'm now on Cameo and I've done a few cameos this week and you guys are so cute and awesome. I love what you're asking me for. People are asking me for videos to give them encouragement, to give them accountability, to help them get through something that's challenging and to just give encouragement and to give perspective. And it's just been such a pleasure to send you those cameo videos. So if you want that for me, you can go to kathyheller.com slash cameo and you can ask for whatever personalized video you might want or need. So today is such a treat. Julia Cameron is amazing and she's back. She's the best-selling author of over 40 books and she's also a poet, songwriter, filmmaker, and playwright. She wrote one of the books that had such a huge impact on me, The Artist's Way, and it sparked a movement in the world that has brought creativity into the mainstream conversation. We had her on the show a few years ago to talk about The Artist's Way and morning pages and artist dates. And since then, she's written a few more books like The Listening Path, Seeking Wisdom, and Write for Life, which just came out earlier this year. Write for Life focuses on the art and practice of writing. And in six weeks, you'll be guided step-by-step through the creative process with practical tools to start, pursue, and finish any writing project. And as someone who is currently working on another book myself, I know this is going to be really helpful for everyone. And I hope that you can grab yourself a copy as well. It's such a blessing to have Julia here. I love how she approaches everything with such a lightheartedness and that she really tries to remind us not to take anything too seriously. We had such a great talk and she even read me some of her poems. So I think you're going to find this especially enjoyable. Without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Julia Cameron. 
Julia Cameron, I'm so delighted that I get to have you back on the show. You have been such a instrumental part of my path and reading the artist way years ago and then reading it again and then following your work has made such a difference. So I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for coming back. Thank you. It's good to be back. So since you were here, you've been very busy creating even more amazing things. You have a newest book, Right for Life. And before that, you had a book, Seeking Wisdom. And before that, you had The Listening Path. All of those things happened since you were on the show. I feel like for our audience, it's really nice to have context of you because some people haven't read The Artist's Way. It's hard to believe, but some people don't know anything about anything, which is a travesty. Why don't you share with us a little bit of why you feel like this is your work in the world to help people to find all of the beauty within themselves and express it? Well, I came upon it through experience. I was newly sober and I was trying to write and I was guided by my new friends to try and let the higher power write through me. And I said, what if he doesn't want to? And they said, well, just try it. So I started trying, okay, God, you take care of the quality. I'll take care of the quantity. And I found that I began to write freely. And I had a small group of friends who were all creative, and they were all blocked. Uh, And I had grown up in a big family where when you learned how to tie a shoe, you taught your sibling how to tie a shoe. Mm -hmm. So when I learned about writing more freely, I started teaching it to my little circle of friends. And from there, it spread. It, It certainly did spread. And I love what you just said. It's such a beautiful description of the experience where you said, What if God doesn't show up, right? Like, I think that that is something that everyone has an experience of sometimes of maybe having the hope that something could come through, but not knowing how to create the conditions for that inspiration or that that flow or whatever. And through so many different tools, like morning pages and so many other things, you've helped people find their way to the page. What would you say to somebody who is having that experience where they're still not able to find that the words come through? Well, first of all, I want to say I'm wearing eyeglasses because I had eye surgery. So I feel like I look a little bit incognito. Uh, And I was worried when I put them on. I thought, if I have to teach, they're not going to know who I am. And uh, I realized I depended upon eye makeup. So I think that when I'm talking to people, I just want to be sure that they have a light heart. And I think when people are blocked, they have a heavy heart. And when they're straining for creativity, they are sort of trying to reach for something that they may not feel is there. That's so beautiful. It makes a lot of sense. And by the way, with your glasses on, you look extremely cool. So I thought that was just a creative choice to wear glasses. Um, In this newest book that just came out, Right for Life, 
you talk about giving people practical tools to start. And I love what you just said about that light heart versus a heavy heart. And um, I'm curious what you think, because so often people will write to me and say, I'm not creative at all. I'm just not creative. And do you think that everybody has indeed creativity in them? Or what do you say when people say to you, oh, you don't understand, like, I'm not a creative person? Well, I think that means they haven't scratched the surface. <laughs> and I, my experience has been that all of us have a creative inner spark. And that as we contact that, we come to trust it. And as we trust it, we come to expand. And my tools are tools of expansion and hope. And I recently had a, a critic say, Julia's tools are simple and repetitive. And I think it was supposed to be an insult. <laughs> and I was delighted. I said, tools should be simple and repetitive. That's right. So I think we can talk a little bit about the toolkit, because I think if people are listening and wondering, well, God damn it, she's written 40 books. She clearly has no problem with being blocked. And I want them to know that I had to devise tools which kept me unblocked. And the first tool is something called Morning Pages. And it's three pages of longhand morning writing about absolutely anything. And the pages are designed to help people find their authentic selves. And it's important to do them by hand because there's a direct connection between the heart and the hand. So if somebody's blocked, the first thing I would say to them is, okay, get up in the morning and write three pages of longhand writing. And they say, well, why does it have to be in the morning? <laughs> and I say, well, it has to be in the morning because that's laying out your trajectory for the day. And if you do them later in the day, you're reflecting on a day you've already had and you're powerless to change. That's so but beautiful. I was just going to say when you Something happened that made me, my eyes welled up with tears when you mentioned the morning pages. First of all, probably because I remember a time in my life where I was consistently doing it. But I think the real reason I felt all this emotion is because I think that most of the time myself and many, many people have the experience of not allowing ourselves to do anything unless we know the outcome or unless we feel like we have to get it right. And there's something so pure about giving yourself three pages without the need for any perfection or any goal, like just to simply allow yourself to write. And I just feel like that is so lost on most of us most of the time. And it's such a cathartic, loving thing to give yourself that grace and that time. What do you think about that need that people have? to have the goal or the end in mind or perfection? And what do you think about how that gets in people's way? Well, I think perfectionism is a huge block for people. We judge our 
fledgling efforts against the masterpieces of great artists. And we say, if I can't do it perfectly, I don't want to do it at all. Yeah. And with the morning pages, what you're doing is you're miniaturizing your sensor. We all have a, a sort of negative inner critic. Mine is called Nigel. And Nigel is a gay British interior decorator. <laughs> and I never have been able to write well enough to please Nigel. And what happens is your critic will say to you as you're writing your morning pages, oh, this is boring. You don't want to talk about the weather. You don't want to talk about that. People aren't interested in that. And it keeps up a sort of chat of negativity. And because there's no wrong way to do morning pages, you learn to say, oh, Nigel, thank you for sharing. (laughs) What you're doing is you're miniaturizing your critic. And instead of being the voice of doom, it becomes a sort of a wee peeping cartoon character, like the negative relative who's always full of negativity at the picnic. Yeah. Yeah. I went to see you live. You were doing an event in sort of like the San Jose area. I forgot the name of the retreat center, but it was beautiful. And I loved every moment of it, how you facilitate these experiences. So beautiful. And you had us very often get into like groups of three and talk to each other. And one of the things that you had us do, which was just so beautiful, is you have people give each other positive, what you call popcorn, like write on a piece of paper, something kind or something affirmative that you felt about this person, and then crinkle up the paper and give this to the person. And it was the simplest thing. But what happened is people would weep. Because very often we're so hard on ourselves. This critic, this Nigel is so present that to have this theme running through your event where you like insisted, okay, now give each other that positive feedback. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like how lost is that where we don't do that for ourselves, where people are just walking around with such a heavy critic. And I so appreciate the amount of love that you are basically helping us learn to create for ourselves is that safe place to land. And it's beautiful. And I just want to say thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, And I think that what happens is that pages dare us to expand. You're writing pages and you say, what should I do next? And something will come to you and you'll think, that's too big a risk. I can't do that. And you go back to writing your pages and a week later you ask, what am I supposed to do next? And they will say, well, you need to do X. And you'll say, that's still too big a risk. I can't do that. And then finally, the pages will sort of say, you must try X. And when they say that, you finally, just to shut them up, just to hush them, you say, oh, all right, I'll try. And in the trying, you find yourself succeeding. Yeah. I think my work is about baby steps. And as you take small steps, they add up to a large change. Yeah. The first time you came on the show, I asked you why people maybe are not as creative. And you said, 
Have you ever been in a preschool classroom? You said every kid in there is creative and messy, but somewhere along the way, when the kid turns seven or nine or 12, somebody rejects them and they stop flexing that muscle because they don't want to be rejected. And so, like I said, it's a, you're really like teaching us to come back and be the parent to ourselves, be the loving embrace to ourselves, to give ourselves the space to hear the thoughts that really are wanting to come in. So you talked about morning pages. What's another one of the tools that you talk about in this book that's in your toolbox? Well, I would say at the beginning of the book, Right for Life, I talk about three basic tools. I talk about, okay, do some morning pages. And then I say, and once a week, take yourself out and do something fun. Yeah. And it's called an artist state. And what we find is that when we assign people work, I have a tool, it's a nightmare. You'll have to get up 45 minutes early. You'll have to write longhand. People say, work. Oh, I get it. I'm going to work on my creativity. But then when you say, now once a week, I want you to go do something festive, just for yourself, something that's fun, something that's lighthearted, something that your inner eight-year-old would enjoy. (laughs) And um, what happens when people take artist dates is that they lighten up. They a lot of times feel a contact with what some people call it the muse. Some people call it the universe. Some people call it the higher power. Some people call it God. It doesn't matter what you call it. What matters is that you allow it to touch you. That's so beautiful. We've had Martha Beck on this show, I think three times, and she wrote this book called The Joy Diet, which is not about food. It's just about joy and how joy should be part of your everyday. And she says people write these letters to her and say, I cannot believe that you said do more of the things you love and less of the things you don't. That's so big. She said... (laughs) It's just so funny to her how people forget to do things that make them happy. And it's so simple, but it's not simple because so often I look at my own week or a month or a year and say, oh my gosh, when was the last time that I arranged flowers? I love doing that. Or when was the last time I took a walk without my phone just to walk, right? Which brings us to the third tool, which is go ahead and take a walk. Go out without your phone. Go out without your friend, go out without your dog, just walk out for 20 minutes and sort of stretch your mind and stretch your body. And again, what I find is that people come back and they have a sense of wonder and they say, Julia, I think I fell in love with myself. It's really powerful. I feel like one of the things that comes up a lot for our listeners is a feeling of, I need something to happen to feel good. I need a goal to happen. I need this amount of money to happen. I need this person's love, I, whatever it is, but I need something outside of myself to feel good. And I think what I've gotten from doing work, reading your books and doing the exercises is that joy comes from within. It's It's really not in the achieving of outside things. It's in that lightness in your own being. And we've kind of lost touch with how to even find it. 
So when you talk to people and they say, okay, I, I wrote, I got it. And now I want a bestseller or now I want, you know, this many people to like it or this many people to review it. How do you help people find their way back to where joy really comes from? Because I, I don't think it's in the achievement. I think it's in what you just said, the wonder of falling in love with yourself, right? And that feels lost on us. We're in such an achievement-oriented culture. Well, and I think what we're missing here is humor. We become deadly serious. We become convinced, if I don't achieve, I'm not worth anything. Yeah. So what I would say to people is, oh, well, I'll give you an example. I told you that I was worried about showing up wearing dark glasses. So I wrote a little poem that goes, this little poem goes out to my glasses, work as a shield until this time passes. Here's to dark glasses to hide my eyelashes. I feel quite glam. In fact, I am. My writing's mysterious and makes folks delirious. Simple tools are the trick that makes a writer tick. So I share what I know and lead others. So life without makeup is a dare I will take up. I'll just wear my shades and masquerade as a competent teacher who isn't a preacher. I have stories to tell to avoid writer's hell. I love to write. Blind or with sight. So I love it. I wrote that just to break the ice and cheer me up. Uh, and what I find with people is when I say to them, write a bad poem. <laughs> write a bad poem. And if you do, it'll make you happy. Yeah, I love that. It made me laugh because it's just not something anyone ever says. You know, write about this, write about that. I. Um, Seth Godin is a like a mentor to me, and he said, you have to tell bad stories if you're going to allow the good ones to come through. And you, you just tell a bad story, like start and give yourself something to edit. And it's amazing the bar that we set for ourselves, which is, it's not in nature. I mean, it's not like there's any straight lines in nature. What we expect ourselves to just come up with a finished product rather than allowing a process and creativity is a process. And the ego wants to have certainty and the ego wants to have no danger, no ability to uh, not be liked or not be ha having approval. So it wants perfect. And what you're saying is really a practice for the soul because we need to find the joy and the wonder and the humor. Well, I say to people, let yourself be just a little bit funny. And um, I sometimes tell them a story, which is that I wrote a crime novel and the critic who reviewed it said, what is a new age guru doing writing a crime novel? Scolding me. And I had had 19 good reviews. So I was feeling kind of happy and a little bit puffed up. And then the 20th review came out in the New York Times. And the critic was very angry that my hero liked Carl Jung. He was evidently a Freudian. Mm -hmm. so, so the critics spent his whole column attacking Carl Jung instead of on the work I'd done. So what happened was I got the review and I thought, oh, my God, 
I should go outside wearing sackcloth and ashes. I've been shamed in the New York Times. And then I thought, wait a minute, you have a weapon. And the man's name was Bill Kent. And so I wrote a little poem that goes, this poem goes out to Bill Kent, who must feel awful the way that he spent his life critiquing Carl Jung instead of on the work I'd done. And when I sort of skewered him a little bit, it cheered me up. And I strongly believe in humor. Yeah. And the tools that are in the right to write are tools like grab time. We have a mythology that says that writers need great vast amounts of time. And speaking for myself, I've never had that. So I've learned to grab time, which is to take maybe 20 minutes and just dash to the page. Wow. That's really cool. I heard that John Grisham was writing his first couple books like in the morning, an hour a day before he went to work as a lawyer. Like he didn't leave law until after like his third book was already a bestseller and he was just writing in little bits. But you're right. That is a thought people have. Like I would have to have a sabbatical. I would have to have a year to write something. And so I say, no, take 20 minutes. Yeah. All right. Write in the morning if you want to, but maybe write on your commuter ride home. And that's where Grisham was writing on his train, Uh, riding home. Let me ask you this question because there might be people who are listening to the show thinking, oh, well, I'm not a writer. I do something else. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a this, I'm a that. My question to you is, do you think that this book, Write for Life and writing in general would apply, would be helpful to anyone, regardless if if you ever have an inkling of wanting to be a writer? Do you feel like there's something that's in this experience that would provide for something for someone, even if you don't have a, a wanting to be a writer? Yes, I think so. And I think it has to do with dismantling perfectionism. And I think I'm a writer. I love to write. Mm -hmm. And so I think of writing as being a primary creative tool and that people who write find themselves expanding in many different ways and not necessarily as a focused writer, but maybe they put their house in order. It's beautiful. You know, I've had a lot of people on this show who talk about their healing process and how not only do they overcome perfectionism, but they overcame shame. And I bring that up because at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned being sober. And one thing that I find about friends of mine who've gone through a 12-step program is they, at least to me, what I perceive is a acceptance and a, a welcoming of all that is, and there's not a sense of shame. And I think a lot of people, their perfectionism comes with a feeling of shame about parts of themselves that they don't welcome to the table. And I think one of the healing aspects of being a part of your work, reading your books is learning to fully be a witness and also love who you are and have compassion for yourself and not have a sense of shame. And I was just curious what you think of, of that. And if people, if you see that people carry shame and maybe how they could set that down. Okay. 
this is where I sound like a fanatic. I say, okay, darling, I want you to try writing morning pages and remember that there's no wrong emotion. So you write your pages when you're feeling sad. You write your pages when you're feeling petty. You write your pages when you're feeling grumpy. And all parts of you are welcome here. So I think that the morning pages are a profound exercise in self-acceptance. And we have many insights that come bubbling to the surface where we say, oh, I didn't know I felt that way, and I do. And I think it's very helpful to people to do the exercises in Right for Life, which are exercises of dismantling perfectionism, grabbing time, laying track, lowering the bar. I have an expression, treating yourself like a precious object will make you strong. And I think we have a lot of mythology that says we have to flog ourselves forward and beat ourselves up. And I think instead we need to try coaxing ourselves, coaxing ourselves forward. You mentioned it earlier and you mentioned it as a theme in all of the books, at least the ones that I've read of yours, there's definitely a very clear connection between you and God. And I remember before I did this podcast, I lived three years in Jerusalem and Uh I I was studying Kabbalah with a very holy Kabbalist in the old city. And then I came to Los Angeles and it took me a year on this podcast to openly talk about God because I was worried that people would get up and leave because there's a lot of conversation and there's a lot of uh, ways in which people burden that word or they don't know how to connect to it. And ultimately though, whenever I work with people, and I think they say this in 12 step, I think that what's really there is like a God-shaped hole. You know, We have all different kinds of words for God, but I wanted to thank you because your work gave me permission to say, no, I'm going to talk about this because this is really how I interact with the world as I have a spiritual practice and I talk to, you know, I want this higher power to move through me, right? I'm just curious. It's very, very bold. It's in bold color for me in your work. It's very much a, you and God are working together. Like I know that to be true. And so I'm just curious what you say, if people have a hard time feeling like they have a connection to God or they're not sure because a lot of people grew up as kids and felt like God was like Godzilla, like God was something that judged them or God was something that they felt scared of and then they don't have a relationship to it. So maybe they say the universe or whatever they say, but for you, there's definitely a ongoing, beautiful relationship that's very powerful. And I think people are deeply in search of that, whether they know it or not. So what do you what do you say to that if somebody feels like they don't have that in their life right now and they're not even sure if they want it because their version of understanding of it doesn't feel like something that is a place of love? So again, I would say we want to coax people forward. So I have an exercise that's pretty simple, which is write down everything you were brought up to believe in God. And we find that there perfectionism, 
authoritarian, judgmental, punishing, omnipresent, all-powerful. Then I say, now take a separate column and write down everything you would like in a creativity God. So then they write down, oh, loves to cha-cha. <laughs> oh, loving, tender, merciful, understanding, passionate. And they make a list. And I say, okay, now I want you to write a letter to your higher power, but to your new higher power. And lay your cards on the table and tell the higher power what you need and what you want. And what happens is that people begin to think, oh, you mean I don't have to believe in God as told to me by the authorities? And I say, no, you don't. But I'd like to read a poem. Please. Which a lot of times this addresses your issue of shame. I was not there when your mother bore you. Surely you came into this world hungering and wet. We all do that. Surely you came like the rest of us from that dark sea of souls, that sighing that brings us forth and calls us back. We all share that. If this is true, and it is, even for you, why are you a broken glass smashed against the floor? Why not the sea's grass on the ocean floor? Why not a smooth stone, a willow in the wind? Why do you break, not bend? And even broken, why not mend? You do know how. Walk with me to the edge of the city. Take off your shoes and feel the earth. It is softer than a woman. It is safer than your father. It is water. It is air. It is where you are returning with this yearning you can't name. Cast off your shame. It's an old coat. Remember who you are. You are a star, a mountain, that fountain in the sun. Your heart is the velvet cave where birds sing. Are you remembering? Mm. Beautiful. So poetry is my secret life. <laughs> so beautiful. When you started to read... And you, you were a kid and you, then you got older. What were the books that turned you on? Like what were the first things you read that were written that you said, I love, I'm swooning over sentences. What were those first few or some of your favorites? Well, when I was a kid, I read horse stories. I read Black Beauty. I read The Black Stallion. I read The Island Stallion Races. And I really connected to them. And I used to go to the library uptown in Libertyville, Illinois, and I would go up the stairs to the second floor, and they had a shelf that was all horse stories. And I would take home 14 books at a time and read through them. So I have to say that the books that I connected to first were loving stories, Marguerite Henry, Misty of Shincote, Brighty of the Grand Canyon. Mm. I just 
loved those. It's neat to hear that. I can picture you as a kid reading those. And that's a really sweet thought. I want to also ask you, because I live in Los Angeles. I've been here for 20 years. Oh boy. Surrounded by creative people. And it seems as though there's something hard to put my finger on, but it's fascinating because I know more creative people here than anywhere. And there's a lot of suffering because there's almost a, there's a need to be creative and a a yearning to be creative, but there's also a need for some kind of outside approval. And those two things together seem to be a really interesting combination. And I'm curious in your life, because you have lived through a lot of really interesting experiences, how we as people can maintain something that feels joyful and pure with our creativity without being caught up in something that starts to actually cause suffering. If you know what I mean, there's a lot of that in the um, the yearning for fame as it gets connected to somebody's creativity, whether it's songwriting or filmmaking. And I feel like that is kind of a disaster. (laughs) And Uh I'm just curious what you think, because I know you've spent time here. What part of it is the beautiful part? And where do you think there's something in the culture here that maybe gets it off course? Well, one of the things that I say is fame is a spiritual drug that we can never be famous enough to suit ourselves. So I think it's important, and I talk about this in Right for Life, to find what I call believing mirrors. And believing mirrors are people who applaud your efforts. Mm -hmm. And they're safe people. They're encouraging people. They're usually secretly happy people. (laughs) Uh, And you share your work with them, and that's your inner circle. And there's safety there. And there's appreciation there. And you temporarily unplug yourself from the culture. Yeah. And I think it sounds like you have a yearning to express things and a desire to help people. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to have a desire to help yourself. It's so true. And your words are not just words. It's like when you speak, you're so enrolled in what you're saying that I think it's there's a resonance about you that's very powerful. It's like really, really healing to hear to hear you speak the things that you say. On my podcast is an episode with a woman named Nora Jones, who's a jazz pop mm-hmm. artist. And she said to me that in 2000, I think it was 2002, she won these five Grammys. She was nominated for eight. She won five. She said, that was the worst year of my life because she was doing it for the purposes of making music because she made, it made her feel really, really alive. Next thing she knew, it got all this attention. Next thing she knew, she won all these awards. She was only 23, winning all these awards. And then in the papers, people were saying how fantastic she was. And for every article that was saying how fantastic she was, there were people saying, why are people making such a big deal about her? She's not Ella Fitzgerald. She's not Billie Holiday. She's not Miles Davis. And she had never thought about herself at all. 
let alone why she was so great or why she's not that great. And next thing she knew, all these people had an opinion about her and the ones that were great, it didn't feel worth the cost of all the other opinions that weren't great. She didn't want any of it. And then the following year, she couldn't keep up with that many Grammys. She couldn't get the next year to be the same result or the year after that. So she had to reinvent why she was making the music because the world was now saying you should get this award. You should, And it's just fascinating. And that's what I'm speaking to is that there are people who are here or sometimes in New York City, there's like hubs, right? LA, New York, there's so many creative people and it starts out for its own sake. It starts out because it's beautiful, because there's a gift, because there's a yearning. And then it turns into something that actually starts to feel. So it's beautiful to hear your take on that because we forget to take care of ourselves, make it about other people. Okay, so can you see this? Yeah, a keyboard. It's a little teeny keyboard and it has alphabet on it. Yes. A up to G and... What I found was that when I let myself play, I could create music. And when I said to myself, now you need to know how to play the piano properly, I shut myself down. Yeah. So I would say to Nora, get one of those teeny little children's keyboards and let yourself fool around. Uh, And I think being lighthearted, again, is the antidote for the fame drug. Yeah. It's so beautiful. I want to ask you, you are so unrelenting in how you show up for people. In the work you do, you have constantly fought for people to love themselves more, to give themselves a break. And I wonder what lights that fire in you to keep doing that, why you see that so clearly as something that you feel called to do. Well, I think I feel called to make art and that the tools that I teach are tools from experience. You know, I found out that being funny helped. I found out that grabbing time helped. I found out that dismantling perfectionism helped. and. Again, I come from a big family, and I I think we were raised to help each other. So I think that what happens for me is that I don't want the mantle of St. Julia. I want to say, you can all do this. You all have the power within you to succeed. You all have a light heart if you let yourself have a light heart. Yeah. Like watching you, when I say something funny, you light up. Yeah. Well, you're very funny. Yeah. And I find it, I just love meeting someone who has had such a serious, in terms of the gravity of your impact, is serious in a a way because it's big. And yet you don't take yourself very seriously. So I just find that very refreshing and beautiful. In the book, you also not only talk about practical tools to start projects, but you also talk about finishing projects. And I wanted to ask you about that before we end, because very often people don't begin 
But if they do begin, they usually don't finish it. There's something fascinating about how many unfinished projects there are, about how many people have some germination of something and they didn't finish it. Why do you think people don't finish what they start and how do you think they can? Well, my experience is that people start a project sort of lit up and happy Mm -hmm. and they go along writing. And then when they're maybe two thirds of the way through the project, they hit the wall. Yeah. And the wall is doubt. And the wall says, maybe it isn't such a good idea. Maybe you're not a good enough writer. Maybe you shouldn't have tried this. And typically what we do when we hit the wall is we try and scale the wall. And if you think of the old convict movies, we realize that scaling the wall puts you in the spotlight and you get shot. Yeah, right. But if you're willing to burrow under the wall and say, I'm willing to finish this work, even if it's terrible, Mm. I'm willing to write badly. And when we become willing to finish something badly, we often have the freedom to finish something well. Yeah. There's something that I call laying track, which is just putting a certain daily quota on the page. And if you use the tools, you'll be able to keep going. You won't get stalled. And if you hit the wall, you learn to burrow under it with humility. Yeah. And I think it takes humility to finish a project. Yeah. And that humility often is rewarded by a sense of relief. Oh, my God, I did it. Yeah. My thought right now is I'm in the process of writing my second book for Simon & Schuster. I don't enjoy the process. I have a ton of reasons why I need to keep going back to your work because it is the most humbling experience of my life writing a book. I find it very triggering. So it's, I'm, I'm definitely your target reader. Like I'm one of the people I think you write for because at least some of these books, they really, really help me. But the reason I was going to ask this next question is because, so I'm writing a, a book that's about self-development, self-discovery, right? It's based on the work that I do. Anyway, I look out there at what's already been written from Wayne Dyer, Eckhart Tolle, Brene Brown, Martha Beck, like there's so many books, right? And then I sit here and I think, what the hell is so different about any new book being introduced, right? And I'm just wondering, at the end of the day, why, (laughs) when somebody's writing something, are they writing it? If in fact, on some level, everything's already been said. It's like, what is unique? What's really unique or what is it that people read books to know? Because on some level, everything's been written. The Beatles have said it. Shakespeare has said it. It's lots of things have already been said. So I'm just curious when you're going to write a book and there's thousands of other books, what makes it vital or purposeful or unique for you to write a book? So you think you're asking the wrong questions. Good. What do you think about what I'm saying? Well, what you're talking about is the spirit of competition, where you're looking at other people's work and saying they've said it so well. Yes, they have. They've done a great job. 
They yeah. did a great job. Everything's been said. What we don't realize is that we are the origin of our work. And so the question to ask is, am I being honest? Am I being vulnerable? Am I being authentic? There's a whole essay in the book about this, and it talks about the need to say what I want to say. And there are exercises in the Right for Life that say, what I'd really like to write about is, what I'd really like to write about is, what I'd really like to say is, what I'd really like to say is, I published The Artist's Way in 1992, and in 2020, I came on a book that had been written in 1934 that talked about morning writing and talked about taking festive dates, and I found myself, instead of feeling competitive with the writer, I felt a sense of camaraderie. Oh. We saw some of the same things. So when you dismantle your competition and you realize that you are the origin of your work and that what you have to say has validity, then you stop worrying so much about the other greats that have said it better. It's so powerful what you just said. And it it really reminds me to put my own, my story in the work, because that's something that's unique to me. And I love that exercise in the book. What would I write if I, what do I really want to say? What do I really want to write? I think that's such a powerful question. Such a powerful question. Thank you for that. It was such an incredible treat to sit with you. It's like, going to church. It's it's like a holy experience. And I thank you for that. I want you to tell everybody, is there any way that they can connect? Do you have anything running right now, like any online community or any courses digitally or any retreats that you're doing? Is there any way anyone can not only buy your books, but connect to you right now? Do you have anything like that going on? Right now, what I've been doing is writing a little music and feeling happy about that. And I have a website that has all sorts of things that I've written and done on it. It's called juliacameronlive.com. Okay. And uh, it announces things. But what I don't want, uh, I think the reason I write books is that people can buy them and use them at their own pace. Yeah. And I don't want to be St. Julia. Yeah. I heard you say something so powerful and humble. So humble. I I couldn't believe it just based on other things I heard other people say. Somebody stood up at the retreat I was at with you and said, do you get upset when other people create groups around the artist way? And you said, no, (laughs) that's great. And I thought that is so pure and beautiful. And one thing that I think our listeners can remember, which I think is so incredibly powerful, is that so many of your books are broken into six weeks or 12 weeks. And every time I've read any of your books, I usually gather six or seven friends. We all buy the book 
and then we do it together. And then we meet up once a week and we talk about our artist date or we talk about what came through the pages and it is the most powerful experience. So I would recommend, we'll put links to your newest book and we'll put the link to your website, but I would recommend that anybody who's listening, you buy the book and tell six of your friends to buy it and do it as a group study because it is so, you, you make it so easy to do it that way. That's wonderful. It's some of the funnest, deepest conversations I've ever had have been inside those rooms of people I've put together to read through your book. And we've done it many times. It's like we, as a group of my friends, my 10 closest girlfriends, we have gone through the artist way and write for life more than once over and over again. And it is just the best. Well, that's a wonderful thing. And I think it's talking about what you're needing to do is some self-empowerment. You know, I think we make different things our God. And we make it like Simon & Schuster is the power. And actually, it's you and your higher power that are the power. And if Simon & Schuster doesn't like your book, somebody else will. So you need to have the freedom back of creating and you need to tell your own story. And you need to not worry about other people having done it before you. Because one of the things we find about reading is that sometimes it's the familiar that moves us. It's the well-told tale that's been told before that moves us. So this business of striving to be original and say something different is self-defeating. You are even more intuitive than I think you are. And I already thought you were very, very, very intuitive. But the fact that you have zeroed in on my personal rite of passage just by listening to several sentences. It's also very generous and I appreciate you so much and I take that to heart. I really appreciate so much. Well, I'll be happy when you're writing again. <laughs> I've literally taken a year and a half and like written a bunch, sent it in, chucked it all. So right now there's two chapters and it's just like the amount of thought that keeps spinning. It's just my own way of thinking about it that has to change. And I have to play with it and be more lighthearted and just say what I really want to say and let it go. And then write the next thing. Yes. I have a very good friend who's a good poet, but stops to rewrite everything yeah. and kills the spontaneity. Yeah. He's an overthinker. So I think what I'm trying to do is trick you mm -hmm. into not overthinking. So I think it'd be good for you to write a little poem about the process you've been through and just say, I've been trying to write a book, but find myself caught on a hook. Yep. <laughs> I try to be more creative, but I don't feel that I'm a native. <laughs> That's good. You know, just let yourself play again. Yeah, it's so good. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We will put the links for our listeners to Write for Life. We'll put the link to your website. And I'm so glad that since the last time you were here, we got you on Zoom so that we could have Excuse you me here. In my dance classes. 
Yeah, I really thought it was just the coolest, hippest choice that you were making. But thank you for all of the laughter, the wisdom, and the love. Well, you're very welcome. And I want to close by reading a poem that might resonate for you. We tend to believe that poetry is created out of pain. Uh, And I have found that poetry can be created out of bliss, out of funniness, out of happiness. So (laughs) this little poem was written when I was falling in love. Okay. It's called Jerusalem is Walking in This World. This is a great happiness. The air is silk. There is milk in the looks that comes from strangers. I could not be happier if I were bread and you could eat me. Joy is dangerous. It fills me with secrets. Yes, kisses in my veins. The pains I take to hide myself are sheer as glass. Surely this will pass. The wind, like kisses. The music in the soup. The group of trees laughing as I say their names. It is all Hosanna. It is all prayer. Jerusalem is walking in this world. Jerusalem is walking in this world. It's so beautiful. And having walked in Jerusalem so many times, I particularly love that because it's a visceral, memorized place that I remember. I remember that frequency so well, and your poem is beautiful. But thank you. You want to hear another poem? I don't want to take so much of your time, but please, please, please read it. This is a poem about a spiritual awakening. I'm not prepared for this. (laughs) I can't pronounce this bliss. The way we flow, the knowing where to go. This ebb and flow, can't we take it slow? Where are the walls? The shadows in the halls. This light, can it be right? Where does it come from? I've known a different sun, walked a different earth where air was used for grieving. I think I'm leaving. Before we met, I knew your face from stars and stones. I knew your name from wind and grasses. Before we met, The red earth held my heart. The sky cradled my dreams. The forest floor was my green bed. These were what I wed before we met. Now that you are here, I'm wed to galaxies. Mm. Our sky does not contain me. Our sun is a candle to what I see. Sheer as a cliff, the walls drop away. I love that. It's so beautiful. Thank you for just pouring all this confetti and hearts of sweetness all over us. It's such a treat. You know, I feel like everything everybody wants is just the experience of love. And you you show up with bundles of love to give away. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm such an appreciative recipient of it. So we will put this out and I'm sure people will be so happy that they got to hear this. So Thank you so much for making the time. It was wonderful. Thank you. Such a beautiful conversation. I love speaking with her. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, 
All of us have a creative inner spark. As we contact it, we come to trust it. And as we trust it, we expand. Number two, we're missing humor. Let yourself play again. Let yourself be just a little bit funny. Write a bad poem because when you do, it'll make you happy. Number three, there's no wrong emotion when you're doing your morning pages. Write your pages when you're feeling sad or grumpy. All parts of you are welcome here. Number four, treating yourself like a precious object will make you strong. We don't have to flog ourselves forward and beat ourselves up. Instead, we need to try coaxing ourselves forward. Number five, you can all do this. You all have the power within you to succeed. You all have a light heart if you let yourself have a light heart. Number six, instead of trying to scale the wall, burrow under the wall and say, I'm willing to finish this work even if it's terrible. I'm willing to write badly. When we become willing to finish something badly, we often have the freedom to finish something. Number seven, dismantle your competition and realize that you are the origin of your work. What you have to say has validity. You need to tell your own story. Stop worrying so much about the other greats that have said it better. It's you and your higher power that are the power. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. I just never take it for granted because I know you have so much that you could be doing. And I know that there's just, there's just so much pulling our attention away. And so thank you for being here and listening to this show. We have so many good episodes that are coming down the pipeline. So please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. And if you do love the show, please leave us a review. And if you know one person who might find this episode particularly valuable, then maybe you could share the link with them. You could text them the link or email them the link. And finally, if you want to join me for three days in Florida during June for the Limitless Retreat, we are going to be together. And why I think retreats are so important is because you actually retreat from your routine. You actually break away from the addiction to the program, right? The self that you've been living, the way you've been thinking and feeling. And when you get out of your environment, you actually are able to step into a place where you're free of all of the routine and the habit. And you can actually chart a course. You can be in the present moment so that you can feel how much more is possible. You start to think differently and feel differently and you have new, new surroundings. And when you come back from that, you can really create because you've been immersed in something that feels completely new and completely aligned with who you really are and what you really want to create. So if you want to come to the retreat, go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. We look forward to seeing you there. I love you very much. I'll leave you with a song of mine. If you want me to send you a personalized video on Cameo, you can go to kathyheller.com slash Cameo and I can send you any kind of greeting or birthday wish or any kind of pep talk you might need. I hope you have an amazing weekend. We should get away, make today a holiday. Steal a little time, stay in bed or go outside. Don't matter what we do, as long as I'm with you, you know. My favorite point of view is when you're standing here. You make me happy, I'm so happy you make me in the rain kiss under the overhang share an ice cream cone share some secrets no one knows